everybody, and welcome to the Cane and Rinse Podcast, Volume 7, Issue 332. It's Final Fantasy V. You can play along with the podcast. We have some interesting games and shows coming up over the next month and a bit. We have Valkyria Chronicles, now available on a number of formats. Uh, after that is Resogun. Following that, it's the original Ghosts and Goblins, or Makaimura in its native Japanese. After that, we return to the Resident Evil series with number four, the first uh, ever time we've revisited a game. Seven years on, something like that. Should be interesting. And after that, uh, McKeel makes his hosting debut with, is this a cult classic? Def Jam, Fight for NY. I mean, I know nothing about it, really. Canerince.com for the full schedule up to the end of the year. Rapidly approaching, but still we have, what, 18 shows to go or something like that. You can get every show a week earlier than non-subscribers for that $1 Patreon donation per month. Patreon.com slash Canerince, around about 75p to get every show a week early. And as of recent weeks, you will get an unabridged version as a patron, uh, Patreon subscriber as well. Uh, that doesn't mean unedited. It doesn't mean you just get all of the audio just thrown at you. Uh, it's still a, an edited show. It's just that maybe some weeks, optionally, you might get a few extra minutes uh, that gets cut for time on the uh, Apple Podcasts and the regular RSS show. As I say, patreon.com slash for extra goodies. Be rewarded for supporting the show. You can also support us via PayPal, but you don't get the goodies. Uh, there's a link on the homepage. Don't forget our other podcast. It's, uh, it's a most excellent show, if I do say so myself. Sound of Play, Ryan and I take turns hosting. We listen to music. We have composers and other guests on. Uh, do check that one out every Wednesday. But subscribe, review, rate to that podcast and this one. We'll love you for it. And follow us on social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you. So joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 332 are Joshua Garrity. Hello there. Leah Haydu. Hi. And John Salmon. Hello. Welcome back, folks. It is the Final Fantasy team. I think we've all been assembled for all of them bar Final Fantasy 3, which I had to miss. That game's gone back on my backlog. Uh, but here we go. With Final Fantasy V, perhaps one of the lesser played installments for reasons which will become apparent. Uh, we'll do the usual history. We don't have tons and tons of history on this one, but there are resources out there that we'll cover later on. We like to do a little. So uh, Square obviously continued developing the series, employing a team of 45 people uh, on 16 megabits of cartridge space, which was yeah, a reasonably large cartridge for the time, 1992. Square published it in Japan, which is the only place it came out originally. Uh, Hironobu Sakaguchi uh, continued uh, as director for this. I think this is the last one, possibly. Um, Not sure. We'll find out in (laughs) in two months time. Uh, Prior to the release of Final Fantasy IX, Sakaguchi called Final Fantasy V his favourite Final Fantasy game. Uh, And a number of the key staff who we've name checked before also returned, including composer Nobuo Uematsu. This was released, at least for the first six years, it was only available in Japan on the Super Famicom, as as we know it, the Super Nintendo Entertainment System, came out on December the 6th, 1992. Uh, According to GamePro magazine in May 93, the Japanese authorities had asked Square not to release the game during a school day because school children would skip class to wait in line for the game. The official English translation of Final Fantasy V began shortly after the release of the Japanese version. Uh, So obviously we know up to this point that uh, 
other games in the series had come out in America by this point, um, not in Europe. Uh, the game was to be titled Final Fantasy III uh, because of the games that had already come out, uh, but the project fell through. Square then announced uh, that due to the differing tone and the much higher difficulty from the rest of the series, they would be releasing it in North America as a standalone game with a yet-to-be-determined title rather than part of the Final Fantasy series. I mean, that seems crazy because if you've played it, you'll know that everything in it is so patently from the Final Fantasy series. Uh, it's all there. Uh, this plan was aborted. Ted Woolsey, who uh, we've spoken about recently in terms of translating these games in this period, explained in a 1994 interview, Final Fantasy V is just not accessible enough to the average gamer. Rumours circulated that a second attempt at localization would be made and the game would be titled Final Fantasy Extreme. But this attempt was also cancelled. It's very sad. A third attempt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> third attempt was made to port the game to the PC, a Windows-based uh, PCs, for North American release by developer Top Dog Software, but this was cancelled. Another attempt to port the game to Windows for North America was handled by IDOS Interactive circa 98, but it is unclear whether this is the same version as the Top Dog Software version or whether this was a separate fourth attempt. Uh, the continual cancelling of the localization angered fans and led to Final Fantasy V becoming one of the first games to re receive a complete fan translation. So Tose, uh, we've spoken a lot about recently, uh, expert port handlers for the likes of Square and sometimes Nintendo as well, I think. Eventually, I mean, it came out on PS1, it was a, a direct straight port, but uh, Japan got it first. But finally, in September 1999, a year and a half after the Japanese PS1 version, North America finally got uh, an official release of Final Fantasy V. This arrived just... Two and a half years later in the EU. So we finally got a translated version of Final Fantasy V officially in Europe, 10 years almost after it came out on the Super Famicom. Uh, the English version of the game received changes from its original format. Uh, Farish, Faris was given a Cornish pirate accent, or I suppose it's not an accent so much as a dialect, uh, sort of, yeah, uh, extreme English West Country style uh, patter. Uh, there was a different interpretation of character names, such as the name Bartz as opposed to Butts and Gil as opposed to Guido or Guido, uh, the official romanizations in Japan. A slightly more uh, upmarket conversion arrived on the Game Boy Advance as they were going through the GBA uh, sort of uh, the, the SNES and uh, Nintendo library converting those games to GBA. Tose again handled this uh, and between October 2006 and April 2007 that version came out uh, added uh, some extra jobs and, and a few other bits and bobs some quality of life improvements possibly. Uh, remakes for the DS and or the 3DS and or the PSP were considered which we, we'd already seen for other games in the series up to this point but none of those ever happened. Uh, so we didn't get the chibi-fied polygon versions nor did we get the sort of brushed up uh, PSP looking version that you can play on a Vita, sadly. Uh, the Wii Virtual Console got it in Japan in 2011. Uh, the Wii U Virtual Console got it in March 2014. But in between times, uh, iOS and Android got their port. Uh, now, there are good things about this version uh, and some things that people don't like so much. We'll get into that. Uh, and then the PC version followed in September 2015. And it is very obviously a direct translation of the iOS game uh, for both good and ill. 
When the game came out in 1992, Famitsu reviewed it and gave it 34 out of 40. So I don't think that's quite as high as they've given some other Final Fantasy games, but it was certainly not a negative review. Uh, reviews for the Super Famicom version on game rankings are much more mixed, however, with it averaging only around 66%. Uh, the PS1 version only received a few reviews, uh, averaging around 70%. The GBA version came along and people were starting to really warm to it by this point, uh, and uh, probably a superior version as well, 82%. The mobile version went down even better with 85%. But then the Steam port of the mobile version did not go down so well with reviewers uh, with uh, an average of around 50%. So Magical Isopod from the forum, talking about uh, the versions, says Final Fantasy V has now had four releases in the West, but sadly only the Game Boy Advance version presents the game correctly. The PS1 version had a game-ending bug for me where an NPC was blocked by another NPC that was not supposed to be in the scene. Reloading my save did not fix the issue. It also has some nasty load times upon every single random battle. However, the GBA version really ought to be considered the definitive version and in my mind the only good version of this game readily available in the West. It features significantly improved translation, new job classes, cleaner graphics and greatly improved music. The latest Steam and mobile versions feature gaudy artwork and bad UI design. In my mind, these are very disrespectful adaptations. Alternatively, for those looking to play this one on the cheap, I recommend picking up a Japanese import copy and loading it on the Retron, uh, the Retron 5 or Polymega with a translation patch applied. It can be had on eBay for less than 10 Canadian loonies, as he puts it. Uh, so, yeah, there are there are other ways to play this. Interestingly, though, uh, another correspondent, Mr. Ixolite, says I am part of the apparent minority that prefers the PS1 translation over the GBA one. Don't get me wrong, I appreciate the correction of copious spelling errors and plain wrong dialogue, but the new translation doubles down on jokes to a distracting degree. It seems every other NPC throws a zinger at you and the sagely Gill becomes a complete jerk who constantly belittles you. The game also gains some distracting pop culture references which are layered on an experience that was funny from the outset. The sight of an evil tree locked in combat with a sagely turtle is amusing in and of itself. There's no need to add a Ninja Turtles reference on top of that. Ooh. <laughs> Plus, one version of the game goes victory after the battles, whereas the other goes, yes! I know which one I'm sticking with. Although, to be fair, Nostalgic Bias has given me affection for every little oddity of the PS1 translation, including Farris' deliciously corny pirate speech. Sales-wise, the Super Famicom version sold 2.5 million copies in Japan. Uh, the Japanese GBA version sold a quarter of a million. No idea how many units were even produced outside of Japan. Uh, the Final Fantasy Collection Anthology PS1 versions uh, sold over three quarters of a million. Jason Schreier wrote a piece about uh, the game Final Fantasy V in uh, Kotaku, on Kotaku, in December 2016, singing its praises, really. A game about four warriors who get together and beat up a giant tree doesn't try particularly hard to be innovative. In fact, it doesn't try at all. Final Fantasy V is essentially an enhanced version of Final Fantasy III, proving rather definitively that Final Fantasy games don't have to be original to be great. Like its older brother on the Famicom, Final Fantasy V puts you in control of four heroes of light, each of whom can swap between a variety of classes, or in Final Fantasy parlance, jobs. To learn how to use these classes, your heroes chase down crystals based on the four elements, fire, wind, water, earth. 
There are multiple worlds. The setting fuses medieval fantasy with steampunk technology. There are towns, shops, dungeons, and chocobos. There are gimmicky dungeons and elaborate puzzles. The bards still suck. I disagree. But we'll get there. <laughs> this is part five of Kotaku's Final Fantasy retrospective in which we take a look back at every mainline Final Fantasy game. Final Fantasy V even followed the FF3 tradition of not actually coming out in North America because Square thought it was too difficult for us, dumb gaijin. Western gamers wouldn't get to play an official version of FF5 until the sluggish PlayStation port in 1999's Final Fantasy Anthology. We wouldn't get to play a proper version until Final Fantasy V Advance in 2006, which to this day remains the definitive port. Washed out graphics and hideous fonts prevent the iOS and PC versions from qualifying. I wish I had played Final Fantasy V in the 90s, so I'd remember it as fondly as the Final Fantasies that came before and after it. I think that if the Squaresoft of old had been a little less parochial, we might remember FF5 among the all-time greats. It's a straightforward adventure that hits pretty much every beat you'd expect from a Final Fantasy game, from the giant collection of summon monsters to the weird hidden side quests. It's also the last Final Fantasy directed by Hironobu Sakaguchi, although he'd remain as a producer on every Final Fantasy game until 2003, so it's likely he had his hands on future games as well. Still, Final Fantasy V marked the end of an era, the first age of Final Fantasy, and future games would ditch serious traditions in favor of wild experiments, sometimes for the worse, but usually for the way, way better. Uh, Dusk vs. Tweak, also from our forum, says, I first played Final Fantasy V when I was 16 via the Final Fantasy Anthology Collection. At this point, with 6 through 10 covered along with the first game, I would have claimed Final Fantasy as my favourite series. Five did its best to challenge my love. While I found a retro charm in the first Final Fantasy's D&D-like adventure, the fifth game felt even older and archaic to me. While the first game had little to no story, Final Fantasy V's story left me bored to tears. The pacing, the characters and the plot were as dry as could be, making the game feel like required reading versus wanting to play it. It had the job system, which was interesting to play around with, but at that point I had Final Fantasy Tactics to cover that mechanic. It seems strange that this game is between Final Fantasy 4 and 6 because they're both examples of fun storytelling, whereas this game had me struggling after each hour to keep going. Out of the first 10 games, this entry remains my least favourite experience, one that, 15 years later, I remember with boredom rather than any sense of nostalgia. Except the pirate music. I like the pirate music. A counter view there. Thought we'd uh, have that before we get into it. So uh, this is your spoiler warning. We haven't said anything beyond that, but uh, I think you can kind of map out where this story starts and ends based on what we know about Final Fantasy already. Uh, but yes, spoilers may be ahead. Anyway, our histories with the game. So, uh, Leah, you didn't have a Super Nintendo and you wouldn't have been able to play this anyway. So where does your Final Fantasy V experience begin? So I had played, I, I find myself in a little bit of a, a unique position for this uh, episode or for this recording rather, uh, because I am the only one who had actually played Final Fantasy V previously. And I, while I am far from the only person in the West who has played Final Fantasy, it is one of the ones that if people have missed a few, this is one of the ones that they likely would have missed, uh, kind of for the, the translation and localization issues that we talked about a little earlier. I played this for the first time after I had played some of the other Final Fantasy games, but not all of them. Uh, so I think that it was probably after the PS2 was out. Uh, it was not when that when that PS1 port had first come out. I was in college. I was probably, 
I don't know, early 20s. Uh, and I had kind of started to get into the Final Fantasy games. And this was one of the ones uh, that was pretty easy to get a hold of at that point because that uh, Final Fantasy uh, was it the anthology. There's anthology and collection, and I get them confused. Uh, but yes, uh, that is, uh, it was pretty easy to get a hold of that uh, that disc. So I uh, played Final Fantasy V and VI from that disc, uh, and I really enjoyed the game when I played it. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk more about the um, kind of some of the limitations of that, that port, which there are quite a few. And I, I consider myself to be someone who very much enjoys games with job systems in them like this one. Uh, and I this is where that started really for me. I hadn't encountered anything quite like it at that time. Uh, and I just something clicks with me about being able to customize your characters that way. So uh, this uh, this is I'm very glad that we are covering this and I'm very glad that uh, other people have kind of had incentive to play it because I have been saying for a long time that this is one of my favorites. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm glad that we're kind of getting to uh, to prove or disprove that. Josh, when when we t we were first talking about covering the Final Fantasy series, um, th this sounded like a good idea, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> It um, was a good idea. It was. It was. It, was, it, was, it, was. it remains a good idea. Um, it was a trap, and you all <laughs> fell for it. Ha -ha. Um, Final Fantasy V wasn't one that I was uh, consciously excited for because when you know, whenever people talk about their favourites, five almost never comes up. It doesn't come up as a negative either. Um, yeah. um, it, it doesn't. It rarely comes up as like the you know the worst entry in the series. It's just kind of that the one that it exists as far as I can tell from the the general discourse before playing this game. Um, so like I I wasn't really that excited to play this. I bought the PS One version specifically um, for the on on the PlayStation Vita specifically for the for the show, um, but I got about uh, an hour into it, um, and the load times were just massively frustrating. Um, so I, I gave up and um, and uh, got the the uh, Game Boy Advance emulation uh, version on my PC, which, yes, it's a bit cheeky emulating it, but I bought a copy, so I feel like um, I'm uh, protected there somewhat. Um, but, yeah, um, I, uh, that, yeah, I finished it today. Um, I will say that I think the GBA version is really great. Um, uh, having had a look at the, um, we'll talk about this in more detail later, but I'm really glad I didn't go with the Steam version or anything like that. Cause I, I, for all the, the problems that we'll get into with Final Fantasy V, aesthetically, I think, um, the GBA version, um, really holds up. So yeah, that's my experience. Uh, John, you finished it even more recently than Josh, I think. Yeah. Maybe, uh, further hour or two more recently yeah. than josh uh, yeah i think if you just replace where he talks about playing the gba version with the um the snes version in his history mine is basically the same uh, i've played it over the last couple of weeks i think i talk quite a lot on both the final fantasy 3 and 4 shows about how i kind of got tricked into playing ds versions of them and then immediately realized that i didn't like the aesthetic or the style and yeah, wished right. i'd played the originals i kind of looked at all the options for this one a couple of months ago 
and I absolutely despise the graphical style of the Steam and the Android versions, which would be the only ones that I have access to just buying and playing. Um, so I decided to hack my SNES Mini and download the ROM and put it on that and play it on that. And Patched it was with a fan translation or with an official translation, do you know? I couldn't tell you. Um, okay. It was pretty spot on, so I'm going to guess fan translation probably, because they're probably <laughs> quite good at that sort of thing. Yeah. I, I noticed very, very little weirdness about it. Maybe a couple of odd spelling mistakes, but otherwise nothing strange. And none of the weird nonsense that somebody was talking about, Ninja okay. Turtle references and stuff in, in other versions. So I, I wouldn't have known that it wasn't uh, you know, an official thing. It was a great way to play it, to be honest, aside from the illegal nature of it, but... Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I wish I'd uh, wish I'd played it on my my SNES Mini because um, I think it's probably uh, yeah uh, an advisable way to do it. Uh, although yeah, the GBA version via a GBA or emulation as well. Uh, I had I ended up with um, Rock on a Hard Place, so they actually gave away uh, the PS One version on PlayStation Plus six and a half years ago. So I had that version when they used to give away PS One games on Vita uh, or PSP or something. Well, it's on PS1, so you can play it on PS3 or a bit Vita or or a PSP. Yeah, yeah, same, same, yeah, same deal as with all the PS1 classics, basically. Um, so yeah, I've had that version. Uh, I installed it a while back when we started uh, covering this series. Uh, I had a little little look at it, and I was like, okay, yes, it looks like the SNES game, and I expected it to be a straight port. But as Josh says, what's bizarre about it? The emulation of PS1 on Vita is generally fine, but uh, even when you've got the game fully installed and even when you go into the uh, emulation options and do fast disk loading, uh, it's still, this version is just incredibly treacleishly slow um, to uh, do anything, really. And uh, I think we got the PAL version, PS Plus over here, so it's it's even slower to do everything. So everything feels like wading through treacle. Going in into and out of fights is painful. So I I got about an hour to two hours into this version and thought this is going to take me too long and I'm going to hate it. So uh, I bought the Steam version with the uh, fully in the knowledge that it was a port of the mobile version and that it looks a certain way. But I felt that although it's not a nice looking version. It's patently a, a, a port of the mobile version and obviously blown up onto a, a decent sized monitor. You can see all the tiling is really obvious. Uh, the the pixels are kind of there, but they're also kind of slightly smeared and smudged. Um, it's not particularly well handled, but it runs like uh, like poo off a shovel. It's really fast. Um, it it runs as you as you would hope and expect. Uh, it's absolutely lightning fast in and out of battles you can you can rattle through the battles and and whatever else and you never get bogged down by slow menus or anything like that so i noticed that a lot of people were doing the playthrough on this version if they weren't doing the gba version so i thought okay well fans are playing it so even though it might not be the prettiest also the music's quite authentic to the snes version so there is that and i've been playing it i set aside uh, obviously i i mainly schedule the shows along with Tony. I set aside a good amount of time. I read that the game took uh, an average of 35 hours to beat. So I allowed myself at least 35 hours. 
at the time of recording, my game time is my game clock is 44 hours. My steam clock for the game is 51 hours uh, because of time that I've lost to getting wiped and then having to retrace my steps or go and, you know, do something else for a bit. Um, And I am on the penultimate boss and I haven't finished the game. I'm sorry, everyone. I'm firing myself. The computer game. (laughs) Yeah. I am Matt Murray. No, he would never have got this far. <laughs> it's still on my plate. Yeah, no, it is. Uh, and I absolutely intend to finish it. I've seen I've seen the uh, I watched a, a guy who knew what he was doing play through the, the final section. Basically, I missed about half an hour of fighting the end boss and half an hour of um, end sequence, which is quite lengthy, uh, which I have now caught up with. But yes, I, I need to do it for myself. The reasons being that I didn't prepare, you know, failed to prepare prepare to fail was uh basically my game was all about haste and, and ultimately it's cost me speed because i've ended up at the penultimate boss with a build with a party that is inadequate to do what needs to be done um effectively uh and that plays into things we need to talk about yeah. the game design <laughs> i'm sure we'll talk about this later i think this is more the game's fault than your fault leon to be honest possibly so but i should you know i i know enough about games and i know i know enough about final fantasy and by the you know for the second half of the game i was looking at a walkthrough but the thing is i knew i kind of started to know i was in trouble because every boss fight it was starting to say all you need to do here is cast this and use this summon i'm like i don't have any of those things but i managed to brute force it basically um with a lot of healing and a lot of reviving people and a lot of fast juggling and thinking on my feet of of builds but really this game rewards uh preparation above all things and understanding so but we'll get into that um first we'll go back to things like the scenario and the story uh, as I say, for me, it's very much, uh, I think you kind of know what you're getting kind of from the off. It also, as with four, kind of ends up going down a slightly more of a Final Fantasy, sci-fi fantasy path. Um, Magical Isopod from the forum says, perhaps my favourite element of Final Fantasy V, the thing that makes it stick most in my brain, when Square's writers shift from fantasy to sci-fi, it seems less of a jarring switch and more of a genuine shock. It still leaves me with this amazing sense of discovery, knowing that this world I've been exploring for several hours is just one plane of existence of many. The quaint idyllic villages hide incredible technologies of the peoples who came before them. So yes, guys, what what did you make of this uh, this latest Final Fantasy? Start with Leah. I think it's interesting that um, that magical isopod here has mentioned the the shift from fantasy to sci-fi because I think that this maybe not the best of all Final Fantasy games, but it's up there does actually combine those kind of a lot because yes you do see these technologies and how the crystals are kind of working into things and you've got the airships and everything but also you are fighting space travelers and a giant tree so i mean you're you're not you're not a hundred percent in the technology here you know there there is plenty of fantasy in there what to, was it to with square around. and trees i at don't this know point. but yeah that, so we, we we just uh did the uh, the secret of mana recording and um yeah you're the well, I won't spoil the the end don't of Secret of Mana, game. but um, there's a tree involved for sure. Um, <laughs> it sure is. And um, yeah, now you're you're fighting a a an actual tree is the end boss of uh, sure is. of Final Fantasy. What a scary five. looking tree! Yeah, he's it, it's it goes from being a tree to kind of being this big 
melding blob thing Akira, with a bunch of that's, different yeah, that's yes what it, okay with yes your heads. Yeah. <laughs> you're right <laughs> josh and i were exchanging earlier on on our slack channel about uh, the boss in this game not exactly being the most complex sophisticated or his or name is nuanced. i don't believe that we've mentioned this yes but his name is x death um which I mean, I don't know if you, how is anyone surprised that this guy is the evil that they're, that they're going to fight? I mean, has his name always been X-Death? It, it, cause, cause I don't think you're surprising anybody Born at that point. Alan. You mean like that's the name he was christened with? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so his parents decided. Oh, little Gary. X, you know. So it's a Gary biblical X-Death. name. <laughs> yeah, but yes. uh, you're, you're not, you're not hiding anything at that point. They, they do come up front with, with that one. Something that I really enjoy about this game, and this is uh, this is specific to the main character. Um, you can name your main character um, whatever you like. His default name um, it would translate in Japanese. The most faithful translation would actually be Butts, but they know that we in the West are not mature enough to handle that, so instead they made him Bart's uh, by default. Uh, and we uh, I, again, I'm, I'm sure this is something that we'll touch on, but the other characters. Um, and some of the places and uh, assets in the game do actually have different names and different uh, translations, depending on what version that you are playing. But he, I think, is pretty, pretty standard. And the main character is something that I really enjoy about this game. The main character in a Final Fantasy game is usually kind of this brooding, kind of very dark guy who has a lot of belts uh, and is very uh, intent on saving the world, uh, but nobody understands him. So, you know, but but Bart's is he's just kind of a goober. Like he's not he's not really (laughs) he's not really serious at all. I I mean, he he gets the job done, you know, and he's competent and everything, but he's kind of just a doofus like and i i just, just a guy it's not, just a kid yeah, exactly and I, I you don't see that a whole lot in final fantasy games and i actually kind of appreciated that a lot of people seem to really dislike butts or Bart's, but i i don't know i mean he, he's, I he's kind bro of, um but yep yeah, of course yeah, of course, course, of course yeah. um yeah but he's yeah he's just he's he's just a kid who rides around on a chocobo and yeah yeah, it goes on adventures, and I, I was I was kind of hoping that they would stick with that because I there's something really appealing um, about just you know the average guy rising up and and mm. and contributing mm. to the the all important fight, but they kind of they end up um, you know linking him with the the previous warriors of light. Oh, you're the the son of uh, the, the important dawn, the, one, yeah, so you're the dawn warriors. Yeah, so he he becomes like a chosen one uh, eventually. I, I just kind of like the idea of a guy going, you know what, I'm going to help because it's the right thing to do. Like, not because I'm destined or have any kind of, like, higher purpose. It's just, like, yeah. these guys we seem nice. We talked about this on another show recently, didn't we? The the idea that actually it's it's easier to connect to a character who isn't the chosen one, who yeah. isn't effectively yeah. the second coming of yeah. whatever religious deity you believe in. It's very, very similar to Chrono Trigger again, isn't it? I thought more so with this one than probably any of the previous Final Fantasy games I played. It had a lot of similar themes. Well, this is, yeah, I mean, this is a few, yeah, two or three years before Chrono Trigger, mm. I suppose. So, but yeah, one thing I did, uh, I did like was the sort of notion that although it, uh, it doesn't name check characters from previous games in the sense it gives this idea that because they are effectively retelling the Final Fantasy myth about the crystals and yes, there's another uh, villain bent on, you know, 
causing the destruction of the earth, ruling the earth, basically all the things that these bad guys need to do. Um, it sort of alludes to the idea that this is a story that I suppose a bit like the legend of Zelda kind of just repeats throughout history. And so the, the, the Dawn Warriors are it could almost be like your party from a previous game, but yeah, a yeah. game that you haven't played, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Or even so to the point where, yeah, it's sort of 30 years before we did all this same stuff again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Any other strong feelings on the scenario setting? I mean, we've got another, uh, another quite similar world map, but perhaps one with uh, a bit more sophistication. It's got more locations, uh, perhaps more hidden stuff in it than previous games. They've crammed probably more in here. I like the character interaction that they had maybe a bit more than in some of the previous games. Yeah. And the story was, although very, very similar, I genuinely found it quite quite nice and easy to follow. And there was there were some nice little points of, um, I said, sort of character interactions with each other and lots of father-daughter, father-son stories going on. And it kind of tries its best to, to tug at the heartstrings in lots of ways. But it for me, it worked probably more so than the previous. And I think... A lot of it was the um, the SNES graphics are so much more appealing to me than those polygon graphics from the last couple of games. That I just <laughs> yeah. thought the characters looked more relatable, even though they're less realistic looking. I actually felt like the story, at least at the point that I got with it, was more compelling in 4 than it was here. Um, maybe it's just because... I don't know, 4's a bit darker than this game. This game's quite light and breezy. Despite the, yeah, despite the end of the world being threatened, the overall yeah, tone I mean, you're right, like, is less... It <laughs> the end of the world is is being perpetrated by X-Death, who just... I know we've already talked about him, but I really, it really cannot be understated how, like, must, you know, mustache-twirling, like, villainy <laughs> he represents. He's so... Like, it's not... Like, I know that the next the next villain in Final Fantasy VI is effectively the Joker, um, Kefka, and I know that people have said that 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 character um, is just kind of pure evil, and there's not actually a lot of depth to the Joker when you think about it. But there's still there's a lot of personality to that character archetype. There's a lot. Um, there's just more to hang on to. Whereas X Def is just. It feels like like a like a car like a cartoon you draw of a baddie in a newspaper short or something. Like the lines he comes out with are just so just boring and there's pathetic. a lot of mwah, ha, 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 yeah, ha. And it's, there is yeah. literally actually yes. And because of that, it's basically impossible to find any of the stakes that threatening or or um i i just i didn't feel the stakes in this game like it it just felt like of course this guy is going to lose of course everything that he's done so far is going to be undone right at the very end and it's going to be as if there's just going to be no consequences to this story whatsoever so I, d- I don't know. I I think I like a lot of the characters in the game. Like I like Ferris, the the pirate. Even though I feel like they underdeveloped her, I I would have liked to have seen you know more stuff about her past and why she left the royal family and all of that stuff. Mm. I really liked her, but in terms of like the actual plot of this game, I I didn't like. I didn't enjoy it nearly as much as as four so far, and I, it just felt a little bit limp. I'd like to actually bring up um, 
I recently reread. Uh, I read it when it uh, was supplied to me uh, as part of Cane and Rinse, and I failed to write a review of it, apparently. Uh, but there is a uh, boss fight book uh, on Final Fantasy V written by Chris Kohler, and uh, it's very much a love letter to the game, um, but it has a lot of really interesting development notes and uh, things to it that uh, that I think are relevant here. And one of the things that he discusses in this game or in this uh, in this book is that it's almost understandable that some of the characters and maybe the the plot as a whole are not as kind of engaging or well-developed as they are in Final Fantasy 4 and also in 6, which we'll be covering in a couple of months. But if you look at 4, since we've already covered that one, a lot of the character development and a lot of the story are kind of tied to what the characters do. And the example that is uh, is kind of brought up is that uh, Cecil starts out the game as a dark knight, and that is not only just kind of what they've written him as it's also literally his character type so this is the 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 um the actions that he can take in battle are tied to this a lot of that and then a large arc of it is kind of him transitioning into a different role uh into a paladin role so it's interesting to me that you have so much more freedom as to what your characters will be technically but the that takes away a little bit they have to allow for your characters being able to be at any given time a warrior or a mage or Mm -hmm. a healer or whatever you can't tie any of the story elements to them being that because if you do then if they are something else at any given time then it doesn't make any sense so yeah by the time Mm -hmm. we got to 10 which obviously we're not going to spoil anything about here but the characters were absolutely locked in weren't they to their type uh, and the story was around the type of character that they were. Kind of. Okay. <laughs> this, I, you I'm can do some for, stuff I, with that sphere grid, I'm just saying. Uh, sure, okay. Uh, yeah, probably true. Uh, I, yeah, guess what? I, I played about uh, 40 hours of that one and then got stuck. So <laughs> Mr. Ixalite on the characters says, I found that the game sells a strong sense of camaraderie between its cast as the characters will often have playful banter with each other, yet also feel genuinely concerned for each other's well-being. The small party size also made me feel more affection of the characters than in several other games in the series. As a result, I found the death of Galuf to hit surprisingly hard, especially since you actually see the others try every trick in the game to save their friend and fail. Yeah, I, I actually uh, I was a little sad when Galuf died. Mm. Sadly, as always, it's a bit of a cop out because he effectively comes back as a force ghost from from there on in uh, after a while anyway. Uh, but yeah, the way they the way they actually present it, he's been this um, for a game with this yeah quite light tone. There's a lot of there is a lot of japes and kind of knockabout to and fro between the characters. Uh, but yeah, Galuf I did find very likable. There's nothing massively deep or complex about him, but he's I guess to me he's a bit more relatable. He's uh, he's more of a middle aged guy. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, he's kind of he's fatherly, but he's uh, also you know up for the adventure. And uh, and yeah, he not only does he he get downed, but uh, the rest of the party, the kids effectively, uh, all try and revive him with the stuff that you would normally revive somebody with in the game. And yeah. it doesn't work. And it is, it is actually quite an affecting, effective piece of uh, in-game, semi-in-game storytelling. I think that it's, it's more affecting 
for me, even though they, they do kind of the fix sort of that you get for that is that his daughter then jo- or his granddaughter rather then joins the party uh, and kind of has everything that he had. So mechanically, you don't really lose anything, but you have lost this character that you have spent you know, a number of hours up to this point. And to me, that kind of hit harder than you uh, in in previous games, like Final Fantasy four is the one that I'm thinking of here. There are a number of characters that you do lose within the storyline, but then kind of later on, you just see them coming back and they don't, mm-hmm. I don't believe that any of them in four ever rejoin your party, but you kind of just see them popping back up like, Oh, just kidding. Everything is fixed now. And this doesn't do that. You do see Gallif as a ghost and you learn, you know, that he was, uh, well, I suppose you'd learned this before, that he was one of the original Dawn Warriors who had been mm. uh, fighting the same fight. But I, I, as a character, he doesn't just pop back up, really. And yeah, I, I think that that was more effective than maybe some of the things that they've done previously that would be similar. You're not actually robbed of any of his abilities as such either because uh, his granddaughter inherits them all and becomes a member of your party. So unlike uh, games that are yet to come, when you lose a character, you don't lose everything you've put into them as such. The the thing that I found interesting about um, his death was the way that they depicted it with the actual game mechanics. Um, It happens almost entirely cinematically, whereas this actually takes advantage of the unique quality of interactivity. And even though, like, you can't lose, um, it's you, you win either way. But, like, having the player just force their way through a combat encounter with x death and and see that he's at zero health but still fighting on that's really effective like mm. I, I i like it when games kind of acknowledge um the mechanical nature of the world that they're living in like the fact that they bring up phoenix downs and stuff like that when yep. he dies like i mm. like that because it, it just adds another layer it's like all this stuff is this is part of their world and and having the play go through that it, it it maybe doesn't land with the same emotional impact as um the event that happens in another game um but uh, <laughs> it's um, um but i think in terms of taking advantage of what's unique about the medium i think it's maybe more effective there yeah i agree i think uh, one of the things that i've mentioned in in previous possibly the four show uh and it's something i was saying about secret of manor that that i liked about that engine was that you're not kind of separated from the combat in the same way and we talked about how chrono trigger goes on to kind of make a you know kind of happy medium sort of thing but as you say the fact that they actually refer to items that you use in battle just makes that it's just you know just a couple of lines it just makes a link between these two often very separate feeling elements that are the wandering around the world and the combat where the you know the view changes and it suddenly it's four people lined up instead of just the one you know, lead party sprite or whatever. Magical Isopod offers a, a contrasting view about our antagonist. Final Fantasy V features my favourite villain in the series, possibly in gaming, X-Death. I seem to be alone in this view, but I'm not sure why. Instead of being an overblown anime antagonist, X-Death is evil made manifest, the result of dark spirits being sealed into a tree. 
so many that the tree could no longer contain the dark energy. He is a constant threat throughout the entire game, and there is no last second swap out for a greater evil behind the curtain. X-Death does some absolutely horrible things in this game, and the stakes are constantly being raised in pursuit of this guy. He's evil, he knows it, and he chews the stage. His lackeys are constantly messing up, and he never lacks in confidence to take things into his own hands where necessary. And he can absolutely wreck house if you're not prepared to face him. The more popular Kefka of Final Fantasy VI does some absolutely atrocious things, but his appearances leave you feeling disturbed and unsettled. With X-Death, it's almost like a parade coming into town. His theme absolutely bellows. He has an entourage. He even sucks an entire continent into a transdimensional void and dares you to come after him. Kefka is terrifying, but X-Death is the kind of badass who would have I'm sexy and I know it playing in the background when he shows up, and it wouldn't feel out of place beside his arrogance and self-assuredness. I really wish RPGs had more villains of this ilk. X-Death is the kind of villain I get excited to see show up. So what they're saying is he has flair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm actually not that keen on his visual design either. No. I mean, he's he he looks like a big bad guy i just don't think that he's especially unique you know he yeah. he, he it's a big dude in armor who well i i mean it, he looks like I, a dark souls boss yeah, no, but, yeah. He, he, but he seems like like a mid mid game <laughs> dark souls boss not <laughs> I mean, a, looks like the well, i don't know neo x death is uh probably oh, a dark souls boss that's true yeah on the subject of visual design then, mm. uh, so we're here, we're still, obviously it's going to depend on the versions we played. I've already mentioned there are definitely uh, visual issues with the mobile ports and the PC port of the mobile port, um, uh, including, yeah, some odd font choices and, and UI stuff, but the game never crashed in, or it hasn't crashed in my 50 odd hours of playing, so that was something. Um, the sprites are still there, as I say. Uh, so this game still has, uh, unlike... The chibi remakes of some of its predecessors, you've still got very limited frames of animation. You've got 16-bit palettes. Uh, you've got a Mode 7 or Mode 7 style map, world map, which is, again, just a little bit probably better looking than the ones that have come before. Um, overall, uh, it just looks like the next game in the series, I guess, whereas I think mm. maybe we're going to see some kind of more bold uh decisions and an art design in the next one this feels more like another uh you know mainly green and blue world with some deserts and some mountains uh made in in a 16-bit engine there are castles uh, you get to go underwater which is fun uh, you get a transforming uh craft which is awesome uh a craft that can transfer from uh, transform from airship to, to ship to to submarine uh i, I love this is that. the first submarine mm. isn't it I don't believe that. Yeah, there was a submarine up. in three or four. Wasn't yeah, there? I oh, think was there it? was there was one in three, a submarine oh, in three. Oh, okay. Not that far in three. It feels like it makes the world feel bigger that there's places to explore underwater as well. Uh, there's a bit where you go above the clouds also to to go to a particular place. That was so really yeah, cool. It, I like that it a lot. Feels the, um... bigger, um, bigger and more sixteen bits. Uh, anyone else? Uh, and and yes, obviously the art is yeah. Nice SNES polygons. Lots of character again in the sprites. Big, big, big animations with limited frames, I guess. It's yeah. like sort of big laughing animations and what's it, the sort of confused, shocked look that they get on their faces. Again, reminded me so much of um, seeing it in Chrono Trigger. But I think for me, this is the first time I've actually played the original release of one of these games. 
right instead of a, a remake and i yes. i do really really like the um the old 8 and 16 bit styles over mm-hmm. well, certainly over the the newer polygonal model ones but i just for some reason this this art style really speaks to me even though it's very basic it just looks like how i kind of associate video games to look i don't know what it is exactly it's almost like a nostalgia for something that i kind of don't really have but it speaks out in a in a way that the newer stuff did not i was initially um you know context i i was coming off of secret of mana uh when i uh, started this and i was initially a bit disappointed by the visual presentation secret of mana is so visually spectacular in my eyes um that this felt like i was coming down from a high um a little bit um and it's mainly the animation i think um the way characters move in secret of mana um like i yeah i don't i don't think i'm i'm probably not going to encounter another uh snes era jrpg that just moves and animates that well so i'm just gonna uh, let myself uh, let that feeling go but i then i then had a look at the um snes uh, not snes sorry the steam version that you were playing and then uh, counted my blessings um because the um at the very least like this 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 version of the game has a a really consistent visual style and um i i really like the portraits in the um the game boy advance version so each character has like a little uh, portrait that represents them when they're talking. Um, the Steam, the the versions you got, Leon, on Steam look really mm. odd to me. Mm. Um, yeah. Whereas I think they're from, I think they are from concept art or development art or, right. or official. But but yeah, it it is odd. Yeah, it yeah. Is too smooth like looking. Yeah. Uh, whereas whereas the ones that um that were included in the advanced versions, they 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 felt like they fit in with the the rest of the aesthetic. They're slightly pixelated, so um, but more detailed than obviously the in-game sprites. Um, and yeah, like and they conveyed a lot of personality. Like Faris looks appropriately um glow, you know she's. Glowering at the camera, and uh, that conveys a lot of personality. Whereas Bart is like staring up into the sky whimsically, like the dumb kid that he is. Um, so yeah, I I do I do really like the visual presentation in this game. I I don't think it's amongst the strongest I've seen from JRPGs. I I, I obviously don't like it um, as much as Secret of Mana, but even Chrono Trigger, I think it was earlier. Did... Let's not forget it was uh, a few that, years before. Yeah, true, true enough. Um, but yeah, I, I I do think it does a, a a lot with what it has access to. Leah, I think that we would kind of be remiss at this point if we didn't mention the fact that there are a lot of different sprites that you can get are, uh, yeah, for your true. party because there are. Uh, I, I'm looking at the notes here. Uh, 22 different jobs, uh, 26 on the GBA that each of mm-hmm. your characters can have, and there is a distinct visual difference between each of those jobs and each of those characters. So if you have a character who is uh, set as a white mage, they're going to look completely different than if you later set them as a ninja or as a warrior or as a black mage or whatever. And each character will look different between jobs as well. So one character dressed as a black mage is going to look different from another character dressed as a black mage and so on and so forth. Uh, So I think that that was probably my favorite part of the visuals is just kind of seeing 
the individual character that they put into each of these distinct jobs for each character. One thing we always talk about, of course, with almost every game we cover, but especially Final Fantasy, is they have a score. Uh, Uematsu returns and writes uh, another suite of music. He originally calculated that the game would require, given its sort of scope, more than 100 pieces, but he managed to reduce the number to 56. Um, now, how these sound to you are going to vary ever so slightly depending on which version, but they're, obviously you can go and seek out orchestrated versions and covers and whatever else. Uh, the, ha- uh, the smartphone and PC versions pretty much take their cue from the Super Nintendo original. I think the GBA version does uh, add some augmentations to the originals, but almost certainly a better listen to through headphones. So what was everyone's experience of the soundtrack? Leah, you go back furthest with this game. Uh, was the music one of the things that struck you the first time around? I think that this that this game has actually a lot of really good tracks. Um, I'll go ahead and be the first one to bring up uh, the Battle on the Big Bridge, mm-hmm. which is a theme that you hear kind of repeatedly because it's tied to one of the boss characters that you fight multiple times, uh, Gilgamesh. Comic relief boss character. Yes, pretty much. But uh, he, he does have kind of a neat uh, wrap-up at the end if you if you get into the right fight with him. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah, it. I think that that's probably one of my favorite Final Fantasy tracks just full stop it's very good is that the kind of prog rock jazz kind of yeah there, there have been a number of the black mages i know did a very good cover of it um that you you may have heard um but yes that uh that's that's probably one of my favorite final fantasy tracks just in general um and yeah i just i really like the the soundtrack overall in this game Josh, I think you said similar things. A few yeah, weeks ago. I was immediately struck by how catchy a lot of the music in this was. Um, mm-hmm. The first one that really impressed me was the pirate theme, um, when all of Faris's friends are, you know, um, hanging out and sleeping and stuff. That the music that played there was just like really got into my head, and I was humming it outside of the game. But also later on, um, the the wind temple theme, which actually gets repeated later on in the game, like. I like it rarely does, you know, music in these games get my head bopping, but like I was like really into it. Like I was like it was motivating me to get through the dungeon because I was just so into that piece of uh, piece of music. So, yeah, like I was I was really impressed with it. And I think the the quantity of tracks, you know, there's, you said there was 56 tracks in the game. It helps. It helps the game quite a bit because it means that none of the tracks get stale in the way that they have done in mm. Final Fantasy 1 and and Final Fantasy 2 like um it's it's always pleasant when a theme comes back even the battle theme uh, maybe not the battle theme. Um, I, <laughs> I, mean, I think it's a, it's a it's a good one, but is it? Yeah, you, yeah. It's, has it's there ever been a battle theme that you don't get tired of hearing? Well, you haven't played a Persona game. I was just going to say. say. Yeah, <laughs> I, know, um, I knew that was coming. But yeah, but um, I, I I think I do think it, the the battle theme for this is a bit of a step down from Final Fantasy Four. I think Final Fantasy Four has a real winner of a battle theme. Um, this uh, is good. Right, let's get into it then, the gameplay. Uh, So I suppose just to give an overview, this continues with, 
I think we've already sort of alluded to it with the standard template set by Final Fantasy games. You have villages and towns where you don't get into combat. You have areas uh, which you can call dungeons, but they're not always dungeons where random combat encounters uh, will happen. Also out on the overworld where you travel between areas, you can get into random encounters unless you're on certain forms of transport in the air in a chocobo, for instance. The pattern of play that we've, we've said is established is still there as well in that you get yourself to a new place. Sometimes there's an almost gear gated sort of element to this uh, in terms of the sort of transport. And once you get to a place, uh, there will often be a new set of gear on offer for sale. Uh, but there's a whole other extra layer here uh, beyond all that stuff, simply fighting and the XP going up. Here you have jobs, this beloved job system of many, Leah included, uh, allows you to mix and match your character's abilities. And not only can they have a job, they can effectively have a second set of abilities that they've learned from another job. And you can spec them out as you see fit up to a point, because there comes a point late game where you really need to know certain stuff and you have to have a certain kind of setup. Maybe it's not set in stone, but there are certain kind of functions and capacities that you'll need to rely on to get through some of the late game boss fights. Um, so my experience of this was actually I thought it was very cool and interesting, but I didn't take advantage of it nearly enough uh, in my more haste, less speed playthrough. Watching uh, somebody play the latter stages on a walkthrough today on the uh, on the Android version or iOS version. Uh, really open my eyes to just how much you can do in terms of specking out the characters here, in terms of making a ridiculously capable party. It's not so much, it doesn't have to be, I should say, so much about how many hours you've played or how many levels you've got. It's about intelligently working out the systems behind the game. Yeah, and specking out your party accordingly. Leah, you were enthusing about this system yes. while we were while we were playing one, two, and three and four, saying, wait till you get to five the job <laughs> system. So why why do you love it so much? Final Fantasy three has actually a very similar job system to a point. The biggest difference between the system in 5 and the system in 3 is that the system in 5 allows, uh, as you said, to have kind of a secondary ability equipped. The system in 3 did not. Basically, you have a much higher degree of customization because not only do you have your characters set in their primary job as whatever you want them to be, they're also learning kind of abilities while they have a certain job equipped that you can then later switch to a different job and have this equipped. So like for an example, one of my characters I had as kind of my my mage heavy, my casting heavy character. I started her off, I believe, as a white mage. And then once she learned the first white mage ability, I swapped her over to black mage and equipped the white mage ability on her so she could then cast a bunch of black magic. But she also had the ability to cast some white magic at the same time. And then once she learned the black magic ability, I'd swap her back to the white magic and, you know, just kind of doing a couple of jobs in tandem. Now, you unlock groups of these jobs throughout the uh, throughout the story. I think that it is a shortcoming of the game that unless you are using a walkthrough or something similar, you don't always know what each of these jobs is going to give you until you have put a bunch of time into them. <laughs> until you need it. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> full disclosure, I was using a walkthrough and I have played this game before. So it, I, yeah. I had that knowledge to back me up. But 
if this were your first time going through the game and if you were not using a walkthrough or if you weren't looking at, you know, charts telling you, oh, this is how many job points you need to get to this particular ability on this particular job. There's nothing in the game that tells you that. So it's a lot of trial and error at that point. And if I had been approaching it from that way, I'm not sure that I would have had as good a time with it that I would. I do like the the customization. Um, I liked being able to have a job backing up a different one. Like when you get a new set of jobs, you don't have to completely abandon what you've been working on up until that point. You can yeah, kind of swap yeah. back and forth. You can try things out for a little bit and see if it works and not cripple yourself by having, you know, no white magic or whatever you, you happen to have. The thing with Final Fantasy 3 was it was great that it had all these jobs, but because it didn't have that secondary ability thing, you just kind of picked your favorite classes and stuck with Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. Whereas this, just to kind of add to what you were saying, for me, it's not just that you can have secondary abilities and you can have uh, characters serving multiple roles. It's it's the unique ways in which certain abilities interact with the main power of another job that makes this job system so special to me. Um, one of the ones that I brought up in the Slack chat, which became a big favorite for me, was if you level up the Ranger class all the way up to four, you get this ability called Rapid Fire. Now, with the Ranger class, it's really effective. Like, you fire four arrows they do depending how leveled you up towards the end of the game it's like 300 damage each so you're doing roughly you know 12,000 damage 1200 uh, 1200 sorry uh, <laughs> 1200 damage per rapid fire which is which is useful but if you then change that character into a ninja who can dual wield uh, short swords and daggers and then give him rapid fire because um, they have two attacks with the dual wielding. Effectively, with rapid fire, they can attack eight times, each one doing roughly 500 damage each, each attack. So if you're up against a boss character with this ninja that has rapid fire, they become your main source of damage because it just they just lay the smack down on people. Towards the end of the game, I couldn't rely on that anymore. But at roughly the, you know, halfway point, the ninja was unbeatable. Like, it was an incredibly strong class combined with that ability. You know, I, I know that some of us have had issues with, like, kind of the balance of it, and that's perfectly understandable. But I really enjoy that with so many combinations that you could make, that they allow for all of that. Actually, respecking now, which is what I'm going to have to do to finish the game effectively, is back out of the final dungeon, which is going to be difficult in itself, uh, a challenge of resources and running away from fights and things like that. But the way the game is balanced, it is probably not going to take me another you know, 25 hours to get to where I need to be because I have these abilities available to me. It is just a case of switching things up, working out, what I want to be grinding as it were or practicing my combat uh, practicing my new job let's call it that in a place that rewards enough uh, yeah job points and uh, some XP as well will obviously come my way with that and I think it might just be a case of another like you know day of play probably for me to be able to jump back out and then go back into that final area and find that things are very much more doable watching the end of, of the playthrough that I did 
this guy had some stuff which uh, I haven't come across, uh, some rare drops that he had, some uh, crystal weapons, I think, or some dragon weapons. Um, as always, you know, these things are squirreled away in there for the people. Again, either you know that they're there or you stumble across them. Obviously, on top of all this job stuff, there's kit as well. And the kit is so much about counteracting the exact monster that you're about to fight. And this is where the mm -hmm. game does become a puzzle or mm -hmm. a, as I, as I was thinking of it earlier it's it's a it's a locked door and there's a key and you can either kick the door open by just hammering away at it until you get through or you can get the exact right ornate key to solve the puzzle that is a particular boss fight it's interesting though watching a playthrough somebody knows he's still referring to certain attacks as being you know he's still getting frustrated with certain enemy moves you know like oh really you're going to do that or you know he feels hard done by or unlucky or he feels that some attacks are overpowered so even somebody who's got all the gear and all the job specs all all maxed out he still feels that like the final boss still has some things which are just beyond the pale <laughs> mm. well the thing is that you can't do everything in the final boss fight specifically there's an attack that causes a whole lot of status effects you can counteract that if you have the ability to equip a ribbon, which nullifies status effects. The only way to get that ability is to level up a dancer class, which is... I was wondering who yeah, could wear ribbons, because I actually managed to get two or three together. But yeah, no, and, and the them. dancer is the only one who could equip that ribbon. So, you know, you can get there, but at that point, you are either locking yourself into being a dancer and equipping, you know, whatever your secondary class would be, or if you unlock the you know equip ribbon skill which as i recall takes a lot of ap i don't i don't know how many but um i mean it does take a lot of uh, learning to equip a ribbon doesn't yeah it? and then once you you're, you're, <laughs> you're taking up that slot that could be used with something else if if you're going that way so you it's mind it's, you i can't tie a bow so, <laughs> you know. it's but it's you know it's it's sacrificing something else that you could be doing in order sure. to to do this if or that's the way you want to go yeah exactly yeah. like coral rings are a big deal they're a rare drop or you can buy them they're very for expensive yes <laughs> fifty thousand gill or whatever um they nullify water, water attacks is yeah it? it's uh, you absorb yeah. water they, they heal yeah, you, one, they absorb you. One, nullify another. one of the late bosses uh or like hits you with a tidal wave before you can even do anything so you have to have four corals equipped to to even face that enemy kind of thing and that's yeah, the kind of thing that you're up to. against yeah <laughs> doesn't doesn't it do like 9999 nine, nine, nine? no definitely not okay you definitely have to have something it doesn't have to be so like float for example tends to help you avoid ground based attacks so i think i'm familiar with it. like the tidal wave attack you're referring to i just cast um float on everyone before the fight and it did nothing to any you're of rising them. above it yeah. okay and there's there's like all sorts of earthquake attacks and stuff that do loads of damage if you're not floating but so there's more than one key is to if we're using my my analogy yeah. Uh, it's not yeah. that there's only yeah. just one specific key and that's that is what that's why this I think this game is really interesting and deep like it is a deep game um, mm. but it is still possible to miss all the keys like if you if you go in one direction right. and you don't have yeah. one of the things that they think you need yeah I mean it, it can definitely be frustrating if you You're stuffed yeah yeah if you just don't if you just don't have a way to get through something then you you yeah. might need to go back mm. yeah mm. 
Mr. Ixolite from the forum says Final Fantasy V is one of the few games I find myself playing even when my console is off. Should I keep Bart's as a trainer for a while longer? Maybe I should try out a Dragoon Summoner hybrid and so on and so on. I do that. The job system... <laughs> The job system is amazingly addictive to play around with, but it's also immediately gratifying. You can also gain access to most jobs, high-end abilities from the outset. Once you've bought the spell, any newly minted white mage can use Cure 3 or Curaga. Uh, as if to fully capitalise on this system, the game features a slew of memorable bosses who almost always have some trick up their sleeve. Some players might be annoyed that certain bosses are virtually unbeatable with certain party compositions, but I found it rewarding since it encouraged experimentation. The game is certainly hard and wiped me out on several occasions, but I never encountered anything I couldn't overcome with a slight adjustment to my lineup. And Jason Schreier in that aforementioned Kotaku piece says Final Fantasy V has endured among Western gamers to the point where some have organised a popular charity event just to play through it every year. This resilience speaks to how good Final Fantasy V really is. During the charity event for Job Fiesta, each participant has to play through the game with four random classes. This makes for a fun and engaging way to play Final Fantasy V is testament to the robustness of both the combat and the job systems. Hard to argue with that if that's possible. Leah, you were saying uh, about uh, bards. Uh, what what is it about them, for instance, that could uh, that could be game changing? For me personally, I did not use bards all the way through, but there are a number of pianos in the game that uh, that you can have your character play, and um, you you get certain spell or certain songs for your bard. People teach you songs as well. Yeah, exactly. So uh, if you gather these songs, um, the the one that I used the most was, um, I, I believe it's called Requiem, uh, and it does a significant amount of damage to undead enemies and there are some areas in the game where undead enemies are almost all that you're facing so at that point i had um a monk with the sing ability so i was able to you know have somebody who was punching things out but at the same time could sing this requiem for their turn <laughs> and uh, and just do a lot of damage to all of the uh, the undead enemies that were on the screen at the time. So um, I, hmm. there, there are some other, um, the, the ultimate thing that you get if you play all the pianos, you can get a song for your bard that raises your level in battle. And I didn't yeah. mess around with, I did get that, but I didn't mess around with it too much. But that seems like a thing that um, could be pretty good uh, if you uh, if you use it properly. So yeah, bards are good actually. So um, don't, don't diss the bards. I think I played all the pianos, but did nothing with it. What uh, what yeah. other sort of obscure uh, job classes and or skills have sort of benefits that maybe people would sort of not naturally, you, you know, th- those of us who aren't sort of fully in tune with, I know it seems ridiculous after the amount of playing I've done and whatever, but I default to the ones that I feel like sound cool um, or feel like they would do a lot of damage, but that and I realise how kind of ignorant that is. What else is there? What deep cuts are there in the job system? I've got a couple of answers for yeah, this one. Yeah, I was going to well. say, somebody want to talk about Giltos? Because I think I feel like that was kind of yes. a mind-breaker earlier today. Yeah, yeah that's an amazing um, ability that the samurai gets, where he basically, or she, uh, basically just chucks out a load of guilt. And it costs 
it costs you, it seems like a set amount. It's about 5,000 gil every time you use it. And then it depends on the enemies. But you can you can do it against a group of like six enemies and it will deal roughly that amount of damage to each one in the group. And that was for some of the later areas where you've got lots of enemies on screen or you've got bosses with like multiple different hit points. Doing something like that that can be virtually guaranteed to do the same amount of damage to everything can be really, really, really helpful because there were lots of enemy types where um, if you didn't kill everything all in the same basic turn, they'd start resurrecting each other or do other strange things. Um, There's a lot of, um, I think at the entrance of each of the temples, there's always two gargoyles and you've got to just get them at the same time and that can be quite difficult. But every time I just rocked up there, I was like, right, gill toss, there you go. 5,200 damage to each one they both just go down straight away and you start getting so much gill that it just doesn't matter at all you can only spend so much I still finished the game and I used it very very liberally against the um the final uh x death form but I, I would have still had like a six figure gill amount at the end wow so that was that was fairly game breaking that was one of the things that allowed me to beat it with not a summoner or a time mage or any of the other mm. things that people really recommended using but in addition to that i found uh, i didn't use these classes i got at one point i got a dagger that i think was called the dancing dagger yes. so i assume yeah. it, it kind of plays off the dancer's ability yeah. and i stuck that on my blue mage who had very low attack power but every time instead of actually casting a spell in battle i could use the the dagger as an attack weapon and probably if I, if she just used it as a weapon you probably have guaranteed to have done maybe like somewhere between 100 and 200 damage to the enemies. Mm. But um, with this dancing dagger, uh, probably about every second attack, instead of just attacking, it would pull from a a pool of either four or five different spells, Mm. which I assume are all like abilities that the dancer has. Yeah, they're different dances, yeah. Yeah, there was a waltz and there was a, a... jitterbug and something and they all did different things one would one would charm the enemy one would do a load of damage to it like way more than it would do otherwise yeah one one would steal mp from it and one would steal uh, i guess hp from it Mm. it, yeah it was like a drain ability but it was really cool um with the blue mage who i got some really powerful spells quite early on in the game um i got one from a chimera that i wasn't even sure if i was supposed to be fighting it seemed like one of those this enemy has suddenly appeared and is way overpowered in the desert at the beginning and it did this big water spell i think it was called aqua rake or something like that Mm. and i somehow got that as like my second blue magic spell and at that point you know i had like 60 mp or something or 100 mp and it cost like 40 to cast it so i could barely use it but uh, it was consistently like a really powerful spell that I had throughout the game. And using the Blue Mage a lot, your MP pool goes down. So having this, um, I think it was the Jitterbug Duet or something like that, you cast mm-hmm. it with the um, the sword. And okay, you're not guaranteed that you're going to get it. But if you just keep attacking, it will keep doing scrolling through these abilities. So getting a, you got like 80 MP back every time it did it, which at that point was pretty meaningful. So yeah, I, I saw a lot of stuff on like guides and things saying, None of the classes are truly useless, but the dancer is about as useless as they come. But my, yeah, my small experience using this dancer's weapon mm. and seeing what the dancers actually were. Adds like, even oh, more crazy like... amounts of depth and com- yeah. uh, combinations yeah. when weapons are giving you class yeah. abilities yeah. as well. See, I had the blue mage who did the white mage spells as well, all of the blue mage stuff, and then did dancers at the same time. It's I guess one of the things that sort of puts me off 
trying experimenting a bit is that is that it always feels like these interesting things have so little chance of actually working on the hard the hard enemies that at the I... beginning yeah they they do but yeah. that's why you have your secondary ability so you know you can be using a dancer or a bard or whatever and have you know a, a knight ability or a ninja ability or something equipped as your secondary so that you know you still have a backup but you're trying something i mean i wouldn't Lots of the bosses are immune to status well, I mean, effect I changes I would, and stuff I like that. I wouldn't necessarily recommend using it for the first time on a boss, but, uh, you know. Yeah. One of the most interesting combinations in terms of buffing your uh, party's ability to defend themselves is leveling up the blue mage to the point where they have the learning ability, yep. but then giving the learning ability to a white mage and then having the white mage cast reflect on the enemy. Mm. Um, and then, so what happens is the enemy will um, cast like a buff spell on themselves, mm. but because you've cast reflect on them, <laughs> it reflects onto your party. And because your white mage, mage has learning as their ability as well, they le then learn through blue magic, which you have to equip later on, they learn the ability to the do that buff magic. Yeah. Mm. And I was never able to pull this off. I only read about it, but there's an obscure enemy in one lake called the Stingray that has this ability mm. called Guardian. Big Guard. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> what it does is it casts Float, Protect, and Shell. I might be slightly wrong, but yeah. it casts all three of those at right. once to your entire party. Wow. So if you cast Reflect on the thing um, and have that ability mm. bounce back off of it and go back to you suddenly you have one of the most powerful defensive Fence, spells yeah. in the entire game due to just leveling up the the blue mage skill it's stuff like that which There's i so think much in it, yeah it? makes playing those obscure classes worth it in addition to casting reflect you can also there is a trainer ability that allows you to kind of take over a character who or not a character but an enemy rather that you are fighting so what i had heard and i, I didn't pull this off either but um if you have a leveled up trainer you can take control of that stingray uh character and have it cast the uh guardian uh, or big guard ability on your party while you're controlling it, and if you have a blue mage, it'll have the same effect as if you had cast that reflect spell. So, I mean, you're you're getting the same result ultimately, but there are multiple ways that you can get there. I really scoffed when I read the the sort of uh, comments from the likes of Ted Woolsey about, oh yeah, in the end we didn't, despite all these attempts, we didn't end up localizing it because it was just this game was just too hardcore for the for at the time bear in mind for the western audience obviously we get you know we get everything now and have done for a long time uh, almost everything i should say uh, games with incredibly deep and complex systems from japan uh, we i mean america got final fantasy tactics just a few years after this which has a very similar job system um and i did play that uh, and i remember it being really deep and complicated and interesting um but yeah, I scoffed at it at the time, but I can totally see where he was coming from. You know, we we hadn't even had uh, Secret of Mana at this point. Uh, I mean, it, it wasn't out, but we wouldn't have played something, uh, this game that was so much more kind of accessible and designed as this, you know, entry system. So to have Final Fantasy V in 92 probably would have been just a bit, yeah, like a bit beyond the vast majority of gamers at this point. 
there is so much, but you know, maybe people would have embraced it and just gone, wow, this is the kind of, this is actually the depth that, that we want from, from these kinds of, these kinds of games. Cause as I say, despite my frustrations with it, there is so much to be intrigued by and play around with in this game. If, if you've got the time and the, and the will to experiment and the will to just keep exploring the world, the amount of options available to you also makes the sort of the, the repetition that, that you normally expect from a game like this of just going into battle after battle. It really softens that blow because you're, you're going to be doing and looking for uh, different abilities and outcomes and, and different combinations of, of situations within every fight rather than, I mean, this game actually offers, I think from the handheld or mobile version, sorry, onwards, uh, an auto battle option which I know is something that, that they've started to put in in these games. But uh, unless you're purely grinding for XP or AP, you wouldn't really want to use that, I don't think, because you'd be missing out on all the stuff that we've just been talking about of deliberately manipulating battles to your own ends. The um, Berserker class, and there's a status effect, they're basically entirely based on just automatically attacking without doing anything else. Mm. Special shout out to my favorite ability, which is Mug. Does that hurt the man steal stuff, yeah? Yeah, it's uh, it's just a it's a thief ability that you get. I, I might be the last, or it's close to the last thief ability that you get, which is uh, the, the best thing about the thief is that you can steal things from the the uh, enemies that you're fighting, but you don't do any damage to them while you're doing it. Mug is an ability where you attack as normal, but you also steal at the same time. So. Uh, yeah. I had a thief knife, which great. did uh, similar things, but yes. not a huge amount of damage. Mm. But uh, seemed to have quite a high uh, steal rate. Again, compared to when you're first a thief, there's a, there's a lot of couldn't steal anything, and that's, sure. that gets a bit frustrating. But tons and tons to to learn and do. This game does indeed have, I think, more bosses than any other game <laughs> in video game history up to this point. Um, that's probably not true. I haven't counted. But if you count all the mini bosses, sub bosses, optional bosses, and even uh, there are some enemies that appear on the game world that aren't the, the random, you know, invisible encounters, uh, there are an, a huge amount of uh, kind of big showdowns to be had. Uh, including the run up to the the final Neo X Death boss, which has uh, yeah a whole host of of uh, mini bosses or sub bosses on the way, doesn't it? Both Josh and John have run the gauntlet of this this very day, so with fresh memories uh, <laughs> yeah. was, was it, yeah. I mean, actually, so, yeah, so did I. I got I I did it I did it over the last few days, but. Uh, it really, it really is running the gauntlet. There was one point, like my adrenaline was pumping because I knew there was a big old gap between save points, and uh, and at that point I was thinking, actually, this is great. Like this is exciting. This is tense. This is almost there's almost kind of action game. You know, this is like Twitch gaming or survival horror gaming levels of excitement. But unfortunately, it all just came crashing down when I got wiped by something that I hadn't seen coming or wasn't prepared for couldn't have known and then that kind of turned all that good feeling into well that's just not fair I've just been cheated out of an hours of, of my yeah. life of my you know yes I was playing and I learned some stuff but I've got to now redo that I don't have time to redo that so really mixed feelings of running that gauntlet obviously as somebody who's come unstuck right towards the end of the game but John and Josh were you enjoying running this gauntlet or did, did it was it a, a, a trial 
the majority of the bosses in the final dungeon are challenging, they're difficult, but they're fair. They're great. But the last two, I've forgotten his name, but he's the necromancer type who's he's surrounded by... He's or something, isn't he? Yeah. Necro- he's, a, necro- he's actually optional, but not really. Yeah. Not really, <laughs> if you want that save point, like you want it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no way I'm taking on X Death without uh, cottaging up. Um, yeah, but um, <laughs> yeah, like he's his his flunkies, for lack of a better word, yeah. um, just constantly cast a flare at you. And oh, this um, is the guy with the little barriers or whatever they yeah, are. Yeah, yeah, and it's bots. just. Unless, like, basically it's a damage race of him because those little things don't actually have much health. So the way I dealt with it was um, made everyone a mime and then just summoned Bahamut uh, infinitely until they were all dead. And then once they're all gone, that guy is actually fairly easy to deal with. But, like, you know, I got killed first time round and the trek all the way up to that guy again. Mm -hmm. If I was playing this without an emulator, I would have had to have done that every single time he killed me. Exactly. And I think that would have destroyed me. That's where Um, I ended my attempts for this, to get it done in time for the show. Thankfully, um, I wasn't doing it uh, legally, um, so I was able to save state it and um, and just um, park right right outside that fight, and I managed to get through it. But uh, X Death himself, um, so his first form is actually fairly easy to deal with. Um, I didn't really have too much trouble with his first form, but Neo X Death is among the most frustrating boss fights I have ever had to encounter wow. yeah, in a game. He's a real so-and-so. Mm-hmm. piece of work. <laughs> it, it, yeah. it, is, it is, you know, ruby weapon, whatever weapon in Final Fantasy VII levels of frustrating. Right, well, I don't know um, about that, but he's, he's I, definitely I, bad. I, I, no, I, honestly, like, there's an attack that he does that unless you've got the right spell wipes your whole party instantly um that might change if you level up but i was at the recommended level for that fight Mm. and it killed everyone instantly every single time i believe there are ways you can deal with with yeah you you can and you can and i and i figured it out but you literally have to have every single buff um that's available to you in the game or uh, triggered all at once so that you still have uh 300 health left after that attack um and like if this was an optional fight like i i mentioned ruby weapon there like I'm expecting the 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 optional weapon fights in Final Fantasy VII to be that difficult. That's fine because they're not on the main path. But to have like the final bot, like I don't remember Safer Sephiroth giving me this this much trouble. I don't remember any of the final bosses in the the previous Final Fantasy games that uh, before this giving me this much trouble. I spent two and a half hours on this guy. It's not that long a fight. Like it's a ten minute fight, but it took me two and a half hours to defeat him. It's just, I, it's, I think it's, I, I hate it. I hate that fight. It's far too much for what it is. I will yeah. play devil's advocate a little bit at this point. Go for it. Uh, not completely, because I also had to do this fight multiple times. There is, there is thankfully, uh, the safe point that, um, that we were talking about uh, after the, mm. the yeah. uh, necromorph or 
no, it's not a necromorph. Uh, well, whatever. The the uh, the the mean guy who's guarding the final that, save that point. That big mean guy. Yes, exactly. Um, but uh, yes, there is, there is a save point that is right before uh, the the ex death fights. Uh, so that that is very nice. Um, once you once you get that unlocked, it's more than two or three or four gave you. True. Yes. Very true. Josh, you had said that um, you you needed to have kind of all of the the defensive things at your disposal cast on your party in order to survive. Well, I mean, this is the final boss. You probably I I I assume that you want to be using everything at your disposal in order to kind of survive. And I I had a lot of trouble with this boss. And um, as I said, I did need to try him three or four times before i actually made it through but i i think he's right on the edge of being too difficult i don't think that he quite gets there but it's it's rough it is definitely rough and uh, i finished this this last playthrough that i did i finished at just under 30 hours and my party was a little below level 40 so i mean Mm, it's it's possible to do that um, yeah. but it's it's tough. It is it's definitely tough. I am expecting a tough fight, but I think what's missing for me is that with final like and I'm thinking of safer Sephiroth here because it's just my my uh stick that I measure uh the, the series it's been by. a while since I've done that, so yes. <laughs> that fight is tough, but there are specific counters that you can use for every one of his abilities. It feels like I'm playing tactically, is what I'm trying to say, in that fight. Whereas with this fight, it feels like it's a race to get every single defensive ability possible um, applied to every single character in my party. And if one of them dies before that, then tough luck. I'm just doing the fight without that character. And mm. then it's just a damage race of just like a constantly mimicking Bahamut endlessly and hoping that this is the run where I still have a sliver of health left to kill him um, and finish him off. Pro tip, Odin, and- Odin will instantly kill one of the sections. Oh, okay. Oh, Not I did. All of them, oh, I wasn't of course, aware. Only one, but uh, something. This is, uh, yeah. This is comes back to the the importance of uh, finding, uh, locating, and getting the summons that aren't on the main path. Yeah. If if I didn't have if I didn't have the mime job and the and it sounds like John, you managed this without the mime job. So uh, I, I'm I, I eager to hear how you use it. Um, I. I if I didn't have the mime job and Bahamut as a summon, I have no idea how I would have defeated this guy. That's pretty um, much what it, I did just too, to be fair. Massive damage, basically. I Luckily, I absolutely smashed his first um, form and went into the second form. I think three of my party members had full health, which was all about 2,000 HP at that point, And the other one was on like half health. And three of the four of them also already had shell cast on them. Um, and I had a Mystic Knight who I put flare on his weapon that he was double-handing and attacked, and the attack that he did against one section was doing like 7,000 damage to it. The guild toss that the samurai was doing was doing like about 3,000 points to each of the sections, and the other two were casting holy and flare or I think it all fire three and doing similar sort of either 
about two, three thousand to each section, or six or seven thousand to one. So I think it was just real high damage against him with a combination of saving it every few turns and rewinding <laughs> when necessary and oh, making right. sure that the right people were picked up and stuff at the right times. Yeah. Yes, and you get a different ending depending on who survives as well. Uh, although ultimately uh, everyone is reunited, if you finish the fight with uh, everyone standing, you get kind of the best ending, uh, but you get slightly different uh, scenes if people have fallen in the final battle uh, with flashbacks of the characters that you're remembering and stuff. So, I mean, there's, yeah, it's, it's actually quite interesting. I, th- I think it probably makes for a more emotional ending if if you've let some people get dropped by that horrific uh, mm. late stage attack. But uh, I suppose we should just check in on the dungeon design because obviously that's, uh, you spend a good amount of time navigating your way through what we shall call dungeons, areas of the game that are there. Uh, they have chests in and they have enemies and bosses uh, that pounce upon you. I was happy uh, after the, yeah, the, the very, it's very rough going back to the first couple of games in the series, in particular with some really horrific design, I think, by modern standards. Uh, here we're still on, on the upward curve, I think, probably compared to four similar, just enough extra paths that have interesting optional risk reward situations in. But generally the path forward is fairly well signposted but yeah again a decent variety i thought and no none of the dungeons actually stick in my mind as being particularly frustrating or lacking in intrigue one one dungeon that stood out to me was the fork tower where you get the um flare and uh holy abilities where you actually have to separate the parties in order to Uh get through Mm. the dungeon it was slightly um, annoying to get through. So there's like a, a physical attack side and a mage side um, of the, the tower. Um, and the physical attack one is uh, fairly easy, especially since I, I sent my ninja in that direction and he just made short work of all the enemies. The mage side, some of those enemies just wipe out your party entirely. So it, it became about trying to use the reflect uh, reflect abilities and stuff like that. So actually firing um, some of the the enemy attacks back at them. But I thought it was cool, like as just like a concept for a dungeon to like split up the party. My understanding is that six actually uh, builds on that more, um, and you actually have a couple of dungeons that do that. So I'm excited to see that um, implemented and more fleshed out later on. Yeah, I think probably my least favourite enemy, whether this is, uh, uh, it's, I think it's mainly in boss boss situations that just, again, without any warning, even in the text, there's not even like a, you know, a bit of a, a something, a book. There are, there are various books you can read in the game that give you tiny little clues about things. I didn't read anything or come across any character who said, oh, if you cast some magic on this particular thing, it will respond with an unblockable attack, which will do more damage than any of your party members will have HP at that point. You know, stuff like that is just a bit like, oh, okay, thanks. I learned because I died. Brilliant. Yeah. And I now have to mm. play 20 minutes to get back to this point again. Uh, I don't really get why that's fun. <laughs> there's there's that spell, um, level five death or something like that. Oh, that's... Yeah, uh, which and, just oh. wipes your party if they're at a certain level. Which it and did it the first time I went through that part. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, and it's it's so sick because I don't think the game does a good job of communicating that. So you just go, why, what, how is this fair? And then it's you realize, oh, I just need to grind for about ten minutes, and then it does nothing. Uh, one more thing, I just did want to mention. We talked about it when we sort of kind of first started playing the game uh, among ourselves, um, and because you know we couldn't go a whole show without annoying uh, those people who think we're SJW libtards. Oh, good. Uh, <laughs> there's some very there's some very 90s bands uh, again very typical of of the era where one of the characters is effectively cross-dressing if that's if that's not an un-PC term uh, is effectively a female disguising herself as a male um to both to disguise her identity but also to uh gain respect from a certain uh kind of band of people i.e the pirates um and you know whether that's a thing in itself is is a judgment but the thing that stood out more to me was the fact that uh i mean it's a really there's there's some comedy uh relief music in this game and, uh, which is kind of funny in itself but there's a scene where two of the the two male characters of the party go to speak to this character while she is asleep at this point they still think she is a he. So I think the, I, I don't know how, I think maybe we each had a different take on this, but it looked to me like they go into her room while she's asleep to see her kind of from the, from behind. So you can't really see, you know, what, what front bits she's got basically. <laughs> and they're, and so little love hearts appear above their heads and they, and they come out all basically all sweating and flustered going, whoa, I've got the hearts for a guy. Like that's the, the subtext is. And then later, when, and they're not the only characters, but later when it's revealed she is a woman, they're like, phew, thank God for that. For a minute there, I thought I fancied a guy. And it's very much that sort of, um, if you go back, I know a lot of people have gone back and watched uh, Friends, which obviously ran from 94 to 2004. You know, there were definitely issues with representation and lack of diversity in that show, but I don't think it was made with any sort of real malice or intent. But two of the sympathetic, or no, th- actually all three of the male characters, which are who are broadly sympathetic, uh, all kind of enter into that sort of level of homophobia, which is not I hate gays and they should die, but it's the kind of, whoa, nobody think I'm gay because I'm not gay. It's that kind of that sort of level of stuff, which uh, which dates, I think, dates this that show and this game uh, into being a thing of the past. But uh, it was worthy of note. Did anyone else spot that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> There's some choice did. lines of dialogue as well. There's, I think it's at the end in the... Um, in the credit scene or something when Galoof is like giving his, I think he gives like a little bit of advice to everybody. And the thing he says to Faris is like, you should fall in love, yeah, Faris. It will yep. make you look more attractive. It's something like something. act, act oh, like wow. a woman or, yeah, uh, yeah no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Stop being a tomboy. <sighs> right. Yeah. There's a, there's a point where she wears a dress and she's, and they're all yeah, like, she's like no, oh, sod look, you're so pretty. And she jumps out the window. She like escapes her princessly duties at the end. Good for her. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I thought it was obvious that she was a woman from the get-go. Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's the same. It seems super yeah. obvious. Like, oh, so this is a woman masquerading, especially as from a, a portrait pic on the on the PC version. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, blatant. Although, and you do get those androgynous characters in these games, but uh, no, it was uh, it was blatant. I, I suppose I didn't I I didn't associate the clothes she was wearing as particularly male. Like, no, I, it just felt like yeah. she was wearing appropriate 
pirate clothes. Yes. So it didn't really, it didn't yeah. really factor in for me. But yeah, anyway, yes. we're just that much of uh, SJW cups that we look at a, a female pirate <laughs> captain and think, yeah, that's fine. Why wouldn't you be a female pirate captain in this? Uh, Why Frank- wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and of course. There were uh, fearsome female pirates uh, back in the day, although this game is, of course, set in a fictional world um, where, where casual sexism and homophobia was okay. One, another thing I wanted to mention was the fourth wall breaking, which I don't think had been done in the game before. I mean, in these games, you always get... You often get, I should say, a certain amount of sprites turning to the camera and shrugging and stuff like that. But here you're directly addressed by first by the dancing girls in one of the bars uh, who say, come on, you behind the screen, join in with this dance. And I wasn't sure about that. And the chocobos wave at you as well. Well, yeah, everyone waves at you at the end. I mean, and I mean, every time they get up in the morning, they sort of, you know, Bart's Bart's sort of waves out of the screen, doesn't he? Um, But I I think you can sort of take that as a, oh, it just so happens they're facing the camera kind of thing. But with this this dancing scene, which is an optional in the bar, you know, frippery that you can do, the fact that these NPCs actually say, you behind the screen, I'm not sure I'm really into that. (laughs) No one else bothered. It sort of blended in with, this is kind of a silly, goofy game. Yeah, sure, sure. I don't know if if this was specific to the um, the SNES version or like weird translations or whatever, but I started off this and specifically at the beginning of it, but you know continued on. The enemies in this seemed really odd and not very much like the previous Final Fantasy games where you had like you know lots of wildlife and goblins and stuff like that. Like some of the first enemies that I was coming across in this game was like a cat with a pair of wings strapped to it. <laughs> It was called like a gala cat or something. I was like, what is this? Why am I not just fighting like goblins or There's all sorts you know, of weird butterflies stuff, isn't or something here? Squirrels. It just seemed more, yeah, it was oh, just more squirrels. whimsical yeah. and silly. And there's ninjas and stuff. Yeah, it's all a bit, I, I guess it's, it's, it's the Pokemon problem, isn't it? That they, by the time they got to the fifth game, they were like, what haven't we used yet? We've used a rat and a bear a million times. <laughs> Uh, squirrel? Yeah, no, we haven't done a squirrel yet. Uh, ninja? Well, not really. It's more of a... But don't worry about it. Just draw a different looking ninja for the enemy. Sentient yeah. pile of trash? Sure. That's, yeah, that's just some fun. crystals. Yeah. yeah. There's some quite good sort of um, Giga-esque or, you know, Lovecraftian kind of stuff in some of the underworld uh, areas. Some quite, you know, comic horror, gnarly stuff. So there's no direct sequel to Final Fantasy V because Final Fantasy VI tells a completely different story. Or is there? There's an anime. Yeah, there and is. And it got localised into American language? It sure did. Yeah, you've been watching it, Leah. I have. Uh, Legend yes. of the Crystals. Yeah. Uh, you've told us some choice <sighs> bits of info about this. So, so this is available it. on uh, Netflix. Should anybody want to watch oh, it? it? Yes, it sure is. Uh, that's where I watched it. And In the US, we should say. Yeah. I doubt very much it's on the EU one. Final Fantasy Legend of the Crystals uh, was originally, as I understand it, a four-part uh, anime. Um, I, the, the one that I watched had just kind of had them all strung together into, uh, a, a movie kind of, uh, format and, uh, it's 
Okay, so the connection between this and Final Fantasy V is supposed to be that the main characters are descendants of the characters of Final Fantasy V. That's uh-huh. kind of all of the connection that there is. Uh, right. you're, you're going after the crystals to uh, to kind of save them, and um, it's not very good. Let's just let's just kind of get that out. The thing that will stick with me probably forever is that the main character, um, she, at one point, when they encounter the wind crystal, she absorbs it into her body and it makes her uh, butt glow um, at just kind of, you know, random times and uh, every time this happens all of the other characters get a really good opportunity to just stare at her backside uh, and uh, all of this culminates in a butt laser um, that, yeah, I, 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 you can't make this stuff up. This is all uh, things that I'm actually did happen. You said, this, you said this wasn't good, but it sounds uh, good. It's, it's something else, I will tell you that. Um, I mean, it's... I currently am watching the uh, the other fi- there there are well I, I don't know if there are any uh, beyond these but uh, there is also Final Fantasy Unlimited which is not based on Final Fantasy V but is kind of a uh, a more um, episodic anime and I'm currently watching that I've seen that before but it's been quite a while and it's worse actually there are no butt lasers um, which is you know the redeeming factor of Legend of the Crystals but. Um, you can probably find it if you uh, if you look uh, online. Um, I cannot recommend it in good conscience, but it's it's it is something. I will give it that. <laughs> uh, a two disc album was released alongside the game, featuring sixty seven tracks. So more than there were in the game. Yeah. Apparently. Yes, exactly. Yes, <laughs> the album Final Fantasy Five Five Plus One was released in 1992. Contained five songs from the original score, as well as previously unreleased Super Famicom version of Matoya's Cave from the original 1987 Final Fantasy. Interesting. Which was, of course, an NES game. Uh, a collection of arranged tracks called Final Fantasy Five Dear Friends, a 13 tracks track disc, piano collections, Final Fantasy V, and a short series of remixes, Final Fantasy V, Mambo de Chocobo, were all released in 1993. So yes, plenty of music out there. I imagine you can either get hold of those discs or those files or listen to them on one of your delivery services. That book we mentioned, uh, Boss Fight Books, yeah, well, i totally forgotten we'd had this, uh, but it came up again. Uh, this is a series of books called Boss Fight Books uh, in the style of the 33 and a third books on records. Uh, I've got a couple of those um, covering a sort of disparate mix of games by uh, the game's authors in some cases. Derek Hughes had done a Spelunky one. And in this case, yeah, Chris Kohler of Kotaku doing Final Fantasy V. Uh, we have a PDF, but uh, we recommend... Amazon.com, probably, if if you're into this game, I would say it's an essential companion, probably. Yeah, I I, I do recommend uh, taking a look at it. It is, uh, it's really interesting because it kind of takes a look behind the scenes at what it was like when there was no official translation or um, mm. or localization of the game. Uh, so it's it's kind of neat to uh, to see the beginnings of that. Uh, and yeah, I definitely do recommend it. Final uh, piece of 
Contribution from the forum, Mr. Ixalite again says, I truly love this game. It represents many of the series' older virtues and stands counter to the more restrictive, self-important path it would eventually pursue. It simply prioritises being a fun game as well as a fun time. A real gem. Thank you, all our correspondents. We also have just uh, just the three three-word reviews. Uh, the Manipal says, get a job. Will Cross says, big bridge battle. And Colin Alonzo says, great boss battles. Thank you, folks. Follow us on Twitter at Rince. So in summary, I have to go first. Not necessarily because I'm even the most negative. I don't, I maybe, but I don't necessarily think that's a, that's a strong likelihood. Um, I didn't finish the game, so I broke the Kane and Rince rules. Uh, I painted myself into a corner. As I said, more haste, less speed. I failed to understand the depth and complexity of this game, some of which was only revealed to me in watching somebody play through the final uh, segment. Even though I'd been uh, referring to a walkthrough from a period into the game and kind of going, ah, I probably I can probably get by without knowing this or knowing that ability or having this spell at my disposal or having grabbed that summon. Turns out it may be possible. It may yet be possible for me to get to the end from where I am, exactly where I am, uh, in the final dungeon after 44 hours or 51 hours of steam time. It may be that I actually get more out of Final Fantasy V if I go back, extricate myself and further acquaint myself with this obviously really deep, complex and uh, sophisticated job and class system that you would think would enable you to break this game. But it seems like the developers put in a boss for every possibility um, and in, indeed some of these optional fights uh, that uh, you really don't have to engage with just to complete the game. They require a whole other level of learning and understanding. Yeah, so I, I'm not blown away by the setting or the story in this. It's another Final Fantasy. Um, the character, some of the characters are you know, quite likeable and engaging. The script is... Uh, very much a 19 even though it was actually handled uh more recently because first with the ps1 version in the late 90s and then the mobile version in the mid 2000s there's still i, th I think the translations still leaves a lot to be desired maybe it was the original script left a lot left a lot to be desired but yeah there's um for fans of complicated kind of systems in a game uh, so this is a game that demands a lot of you, but not in terms of Twitch, you know, reactions, hand-eye coordination, but in terms of thinking, understanding, experimentation. Uh, there's a huge amount to get involved in here. Um, and yeah, I've come away actually frustrated and annoyed a bit with the game, but also with myself. Uh, but actually, I think this is a really cool game that probably more JRPG fans particularly should check out if they haven't. John. In a lot of ways, it's my feelings are similar to, to what you've just said, Leon, about maybe not taking as much advantage of the different job systems and the different play styles as I should have done and struggling with the end of the game. But I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to sound, you know, regretful or sort of remorseful that I've been essentially, you know, forced to play via emulation and take advantage of some of the tricks that are available through emulation because when it comes down to it, I still really, really enjoyed the game. Um, I I did really enjoy what I played around with, and I did enjoy very much the the variation and the the synergies between jobs and abilities and different enemies and the optional things. Some of which I did, and some of which I sort of stumbled across and went, "Ooh, I don't know about that." 
But for what I got out of it, I, I did think it was fantastic compared to the previous Final Fantasy games that I've played. This is kind of getting more and more along the lines of what I wanted out of these games and what I was hoping to to find from coming and doing the series. I mean, my my uh, end goal has always been to to play Final Fantasy VI and going through sort of one to five in the meantime or two to five has been kind of a, an interesting lead up to it. But I think this is the closest I've I've got so far to to my my aim uh, in terms of how the game feels compared to previous. And I, I wouldn't say in any way that it's bad or it's I mean it's it's frustrating, but I, I feel like that's maybe as much my fault as it is anything that the mm. the game has done in inverted commas wrong. So I'm I'm fully prepared to to give it its due and say that. I, it's it's a bit disappointing that it's not had such a wide release and that the people in the West haven't managed to get their hands on it as as readily as some of the others because I think that this is this is certainly as good as any of the previous ones and hopefully will stand up against future as well mm, or at least not in an optimal version. Actually, that was one yes. one more thing I did want to say that I left out my summary was I think for me although uh, I would have missed out on a certain amount of excitement and tension overall having the ability to to have actual save states would have helped me. Uh, there is a quick save in the in the mobile and Steam version, but it's one of those that deletes your save as soon as you go back in. So it's not the same as having a, a save state. You still have, you're still tied to save points. Also, a fast travel or something along those lines that you could use from anywhere would have made a huge difference. I, if I could now just select to go back out to one of the villages in the world and then go and start hoovering up the things that I need and learning the skills that I need, that would be way more appealing than the thought yeah. of painstakingly extricating myself from the pickle I'm in kind of thing. Your issue there is also going to be trying to figure out which place you go to and which which town it is on the map when you're yes. looking at the map. Yeah. That got very frustrating yeah. towards the There's back There's a lot of, the a lot of points well. of interest and, and yes, and especially with the different names of places and things. And so even if you're looking at a guide, it can all get rather confusing, but... Uh, you can once you've got the the transforming craft. I mean, you can go almost anywhere in a black chocobo. Anyway, <laughs> Josh, how did you uh, find overall your Final Fantasy V experience? I think out of the games that we've covered in the series so far, this is mechanically my favourite. Uh, we're we're going to get to to ones I like more later on, but like so far, I think the just the combat system and the job system. It, it's as you two said, like there's so much depth here. I think I benefited from from experimenting more than and the, than you guys did, and and I got so much out of it. I I I, I you know I I mentioned the ninja rapid fire combination. It's it's. That sort of stuff make that elevates the combat system in this game. I, I just I think it's fantastic. I think the story's pretty boring. Um, X Death is one of the dullest villains ever. Uh, it just just uh, really does nothing for me and sucks any kind of threat out of the the narrative, um, which is making me really excited for Final Fantasy VI because um, Kefka's reputation precedes him. Overall, this this was a game that I loved mechanically. Um, I will say that I think the final third of this game gets a bit sadistic. Mm. Um, <laughs> there are several boss fights that just feel mean, um, and 
the final boss is I I just don't like at all. I think I hate that fight. But yeah, overall, I I really like Final Fantasy V, um, and it's made me the the job system in this is making me really eager to check out um, Final Fantasy X too because I'd, I'd I'd love to see <laughs> see this system in a more modern Final Fantasy. Have you got uh, War of the Lions Final Fantasy Tactics? I do, I do. So I need to play that as well. Very cool, Aaliyah. We know you love it, but tell us how and why. I would like to take this opportunity to say, I told you so. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I I liked this going in. Uh, I, I really enjoy that there is the degree of customization that uh, that this this particular system offers. I'm always going to have kind of a soft spot for Final Fantasy V for introducing me to the concept of a job system and kind of getting me into uh, how that works and what some of the intricacies are. And, you know, this is definitely not the only game that does this. This is definitely not the best, uh, in in air quotes, um, this is definitely not the best example of a job system that I can I can think of, but mm. I think that it is a thoroughly competent example uh, and and one that I enjoy greatly. So uh, I'm glad that um, that three of you have had the opportunity to uh, kind of come in and uh, and get into this because I, I think it's kind of a shame that it didn't get a wider release or a, a wider appreciation among eastern audience or i'm sorry among western audiences i wish that the kind of better translation uh or the nicer version of this is not more readily available that that is kind of sad mm. um and i think that that would help people kind of get into this a little bit more but uh, i do think that if you have the opportunity even if it is one of the suboptimal versions of this game if you've ever played a uh job system game and enjoyed it or if you haven't maybe and and think that this sounds interesting if you like kind of messing with systems like i do uh, I, I think it's definitely worth even if it is the the very very slowly loading ps1 version um or the maybe not as graphically wonderful as you might hope uh ios slash steam version uh, mm. i i think it's worth a try uh, i i really enjoy this game and uh i would not hesitate to recommend it to people and um i look forward to our inevitable coverage of final fantasy 10 2 uh because it's this <laughs> with dress spheres so uh get ready <laughs> We haven't announced that show yet. Yeah, yet. I know, but I just, I get so excited <laughs> sometimes. All right. Well, it just remains for me, Leon, to thank John, Josh and Leah, as well as our correspondents, editor Ryan, and to you for listening. And if you've enjoyed this podcast and appreciate the effort that goes into it, please do subscribe to the show, rate it or review it if you can on Apple Podcasts or wherever. Best of all, though, a dollar a month really helps out. Patreon.com slash You get the shows a week early. You get uh, unabridged shows in some cases, many cases, probably this one, looking at the length of recording and an exclusive monthly minicast, as well as our format specials three months early. The Genesis Mega Drive show is out now. Next time in issue 333, it's Josh's turn to take command again as we blitz our way back into Europa for our Valkyria Chronicles. <laughs>